Well, greetings to all of our brethren around the world. It's uh, great to be here in 2009 and not celebrating New Year's, but celebrating the Sabbath here in 2009. We are marching toward the kingdom with great hope and with faith, and yet the world does not have that much hope. The world is placing its hope in the manipulation of man's systems. One woman celebrating the New Year's Eve in uptown Charlotte, uh, Dr. Warnell actually was referring to this, this woman was saying at the New Year's Eve celebration, quote, for me, good riddance to 2008. I'm one of the people looking for a job, and this has been one of the worst years in my memory. I am really grateful for it to be over. I am here to celebrate and hope that 2009 will be better. And that's from an article, Charlotte Celebrates End of a Tough Year. Well, it's been a tough year for many people. And that woman reflected a very common sentiment I'm glad 2008 is over. But did anything automatically change on January 1st? Did the causes that brought about the effects of 2008 automatically change? There is a cause for every effect. The systems of the worldly governments, business, and education, and society are producing negative effects. 2008 revealed the fruits of human nature in our society. The United States stock market plunged significantly. Investors lost a whopping $30 trillion in 2008. That's not $30 billion or $30 million. That's $30 trillion. And the U.S. government has pledged $8.5 trillion to help the floundering and foundering financial companies. Who's going to pay for that? Well, according to the Charlotte Observer, quote, the maximum amount the bailout could cost each taxpayer based on 130 million tax returns filed in 2007 would be $61,871. So if you filed a tax return last year, then perhaps you can contribute 61000 to help these companies in their bailout. Of course, the ripple effect has uh, affected other countries around the world. The Japanese uh, stock market ended the trading year down 42%. When we look back at 1919, <laughs> back in a different decade, when I look back at uh, 2008, the uh, Time magazine listed the top 10 everything of 2008. So if you want to find out what the top entertainment was, the top movies, you just go to uh, Time magazine. But these are the top 10 news stories of 2008. One, when we, we, when we realized the sky was falling, that was when the bailout started. Yes, he could. The election of the first black American, uh, African American president. Three, Mumbai held hostage. Four, devastation in Islamabad. Five, pirates rule the waves. Four, uh, six, war in the Caucasus. Seven, China spreads the melamine. Eight, twilight of Cuba's patriarch, who was just celebrating 50 years, uh, I believe the eighth of this month. An audacious rescue in Colombia and Mother Nature's double whammy. Well, what was that double whammy? It was the Sichuan earthquake in China. BBC News had this headline, A Huge Year for Natural Disasters. The past year has been one of the most devastating ever in terms of natural disasters. One of the world's biggest reinsurance companies has said, Munich Ray from Germany said the impact of the disasters was greater than in 2007, in both human and economic terms, 
More than 220,000 people died in events like cyclones, earthquakes, and flooding, the most since 2004, the year of the Asian tsunami. Meanwhile, overall global losses total about $200 billion, and uh, this makes 2008 the mo third most expensive year on record after 1995 when the Kobe earthquake struck Japan and 2005 the year of Hurricane Katrina in the United States. Now the other one of the double whammy in addition to Sichuan earthquake was what? You know in Asia we don't normally record those in our minds but it was Cyclone Nargis in Burma that killed 130,000 people this year in 2007 and devastated much of the low-lying Irati Delta region where the earthquake which struck uh, China's Sichuan province left 70,000 dead and millions homeless. Munich Ray said that losses <clears throat> of 85 billion made Sichuan the second most expensive earthquake after Kobe. But if 130,000 people had died in the United States, how would we react? We often, we probably don't even remember the 130,000 that died <clears throat> there in Asia. So 2008 for many on planet Earth is a year to forget. Remember that Jesus said in Luke 21 and verse 11, there will be great earthquakes in various places. <clears throat> and in Revelation 6.14, every mountain and island was moved out of its place. <clears throat> so while 2008 was a year to forget, will they learn the lessons of history? And will we personally learn the lessons from our mistakes in 2008? We are called to give the world hope. And when we look back on 2008, we have some encouraging news because of what God did through his work. In March of 2008, Christ opened the television door of the Black Entertainment Network, which reaches 89 million households in the United States and Canada. And God also inspired hundreds to become co-workers and donors to begin supporting the work. And in the first 10 months of 2008, 17,783 new students began taking the printed version of Tomorrow's World Bible Study Course. Another 2,793 took the online edition. So in total, we have students from more than 170 nations that are taking the Bible Study Course. <clears throat> the January-February Tomorrow's World magazine had a print run of 418,000, so we reached another milestone. You'll turn to Luke, the 12th chapter, Luke 12, <coughs> and I hope I don't have to ask Dr. Winnale to come up and take my place. I did that one time and uh, when I was ill in Kansas City many years ago, and Mr. Weston was gracious to come up and he looked at my notes and could hardly make any sense out of them. <coughs> Luke 12, starting with uh, verse 35. This is the parable of the faithful servant and the evil servant. God has given us a mission, and we've been striving to fulfill with Christ's guidance and power. We must be faithful stewards of these responsibilities. So let's focus on the word and mission of stewards, because God has called us all to be stewards. We could say, well, we're going to be servants, but I want to focus on the word steward here momentarily. 
Luke 12, starting with verse 35. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks they may open to him immediately. So we are anticipating Christ's return. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. So we look forward to the wedding supper when Christ will serve the saints. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready. This is the warning and message from Christ to us. Therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So this is a warning for us to watch, be awake, and be alert. And I think most of us are. We've got those, we have those warnings weekly in the uh, sermons and, of course, through our publications. Verse 41, Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? So my question today to you is, are you going to fulfill that scripture? Are you a faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household? As God has called us to be kings and priests and to serve all nations, to rule over nations. Blessed is that servant, verse 43, whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Such an important verse, verse 43. Because in the past, when we thought, well, maybe 1975 was a time years ago when the church would flee. Brethren in 1974 and 73 said, well, I, you know, I can put off getting my uh, teeth fixed and I don't need to keep uh, working on my a master's degree or my bachelor's degree because, uh, you know, uh, the end is coming. Well, people stopped so doing. And I hope that all of us, even though we know we always must have a sense of urgency, that we must always persevere and continue to grow and to produce and to use our talents as faithful stewards of God. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. Then he gives us a warning of those who say, My master is delaying his coming. That servant, verse 47, who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given from him will be much required and to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. So God has called us to be faithful stewards. Knowing this coming year, we need to ask ourselves, are we going to change our lives? What is it that you need to change in your life? What responsibilities do you have? Are you going to be a faithful steward? Are you faithful in those responsibilities? What changes do you want to make in your life? in 2009. 
Are you a faithful steward? That's the title of the sermon. Are you a faithful steward? I asked my wife last night at dinner, I said, what areas of your life in stewardship do you need to improve? Her immediate response was, everything. Then she reflected and started thinking about areas that she needed to work on and to improve and to set some goals. But what are your plans for 2009? The world, of course, generally makes resolutions on January 1st, and people have fun making those resolutions, but some make them seriously. I've shared with you in the past several classic episodes from Calvin and Hobbes' comic strip, but I think it's appropriate to share it again with you at this time, on this January 3rd, 2009. As they walk through the snow on a winter's day, Hobbes the tiger asked the precocious boy Calvin, Did you make any resolutions for the new year? Calvin says, no, but then he displays the vanity of self. He says, I'm fine, just the way I am. Why should I change? Emphasis on I. He continues asserting himself, in fact, I think it's high time the world started changing to suit me. I wonder if you know any people like that. Calvin says, I don't see why I should do all the changing around here. If the New Year's requires resolution... I say as to everyone else, not me. I do not need to improve. Everyone else does. Well, do you need to improve? And do you admit that you have to make changes in your life? One of the early American statesmen, Benjamin Franklin, gave, gave advice on resolutions. And this is from his autobiography, 1771. Benjamin Franklin said this, quote, Resolve to perform what you ought. Perform without fail what you resolve. End of quote. That's from Founders Quote Daily from PatriotPost.us. So what resolutions have you made or will you make? Perhaps you'd like to lose some weight. I would like to do that in 2009. Uh, I won't ask you to raise your hands or say how many of you don't want to lose weight here in 2009. But the Siski family YMCA, which several of us are members, had this to say in its family newsletter. Is your resolution to lose weight and improve your health this year? We offer an eight-week weight management program to focus on your eating and exercising. Meet one-on-one -on -one with a weight management instructor each week and discuss what areas you can improve. Learn tips on making low-calorie meals. Talk about serving sizes. Create a workout plan and set weekly goals, goals to help you lose weight. This program can be repeated a second and third time to keep you on track for up to 24 weeks. So that's something some of us might consider. And there are other resolutions. This is an advertisement in the Charlotte Observer, January 2nd, by Elizabeth Bruns Incorporated Jewelers. And so many people have all these ideas, and they sound good. It's just a matter of Will we commit to any one of them? Will we actually bear fruit in any one? Resolve this year, says the advertisement, to mend a quarrel. Seek out a forgotten friend. Dismiss suspicion and replace it with trust. Well, that's a careful one. Give a soft answer. Encourage youth. Manifest your loyalty in word and deed. Keep a promise. Find the time. Forgo a grudge. Forgive an enemy. Listen, apologize if you are wrong, try to understand, flout envy, 
Examine your demands on others. Think first of someone else. Appreciate. Be kind. Be gentle. Laugh a little. Deserve confidence. Take up arms against malice. Decry complacency. Express your gratitude. Go to church. Welcome a stranger. Gladden the heart of a child. Take pleasure in the beauty and wonder of the earth. Speak your love. Speak it again. Speak it still once again. A beautiful sentiment for all of us, and I hope that we can embrace most of those. But sadly, right above that advertisement was a news item, New Year's revelers die in Bangkok nightclub fire. 59 were killed and 130 were injured. There was only one public entrance, and the fireworks may have started the fire. We heard Dr. Winnale mention in the announcements from the world ahead, pondering your path, but I want to repeat it here for those in our audience around the world who didn't hear it. As we see major Bible prophecies being fulfilled or on the verge of being fulfilled, we periodically need to review our priorities and the focus of our lives and be ready to make course corrections when necessary. It would be a good idea to take some time as 2008 comes to a close and we begin another calendar year to ponder the feet of your path. That's from Proverbs 4, verses 26 and 27. And evaluate how you are living your life. What are your real prior, are, what are your real priorities? Where you need to evaluate where you may need to make changes so that you will have God's guidance and support to navigate through the trials that are coming and be ready for the return of Jesus Christ and the arrival of the kingdom of God. So I hope that all of us are evaluating our lives. I know I have significant changes to make. I won't tell you what they are. Uh, but I hope you know some of your weaknesses and know what you need to overcome. God has called us to be overcomers, one of the great lessons of our Christian living. Remember the song, Overcoming Daily with the Spirit's Sword, and that is standing on the promises of God. We overcome daily with the Spirit's Sword, meaning the Word of God. Well, what is a steward? You are going to be a faithful steward, we pray, in 2009. A steward not only manages, but he must be active and productive. Turn to Luke, the 19th chapter. We're here in Luke 12, just over a few pages, to Luke 19 and verse 9. Jesus said, Oh, sorry, I've got the wrong reference. All right, I think that we'll go ahead and find something in this section that looks good. <laughs> and there is much in, really, <laughs> there is much in this section that is good. <laughs> Here, let's take a look at verse 24. This again, the parable of the minas. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to him who has the ten minas. This is the one who just buried his mina and did not deposit it for interest, which is what Christ said he should have done in verse 23. But they said to him, Well, Master, the other man has ten minas. Verse 26, For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him, but bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and stay 
and slay them before me. And then we have the triumphal entry. So God calls us to account for our prophets, for our stewardship, and whether we produce, where we born fruit. Remember John 15:8, Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And I hope that you pray daily that God is bearing fruit through you, the fruit of God's Holy Spirit, and that we can overcome. I pray daily for successes, achievements, accomplishments, overcomings, victories. And, of course, he even tells us that he does give us triumph in Christ. So God has called us to be profitable servants. As uh, Mr. Apartian wrote in his article, Be a Profitable Servant, and I encourage you to read uh, the Living Church News, which I hope you have, that you read every issue. This is the September-October issue. Be a Profitable Servant by Mr. Debar Partian. Quote, Mr. Armstrong often said that it was God, not him, who did everything. That was true. However, as Mr. Armstrong also explained, he had to work as hard as if he had done it. That is precisely what it takes to be a profitable servant. God is at work. But you have to strive as though you were doing the work. You must push harder and harder as time goes on. That is what Mr. Armstrong strove to do, and that is what Mr. Meredith strives to do, and it is what we all must do. You cannot be a profitable servant if you are selfish and lazy. You cannot please God if you only do what is required of you, or do it in order to be seen by men. If you have God's Spirit, you must live to help and serve. You are a Christian soldier whose fighting is done by God. End of quote. So that's on page 9 of the September-October Living Church News by Mr. Repartium. So what is a steward? In the New Testament, there are two Greek words, epitropos and oikonomos. And as the International Bible Cyclopedia states, these two terms denote similar positions. Uh, the exact difference cannot be clearly defined because they're synonymous, almost synonymous. The two are found together in Galatians 4.2. The parable of the unjust steward best illustrates the practice. The steward was a free man, had full charge of his master's affairs, and could use them to his own advantage if he chose, was fully accountable to his master, and had to render an account when called upon. If unfaithful, he was usually discharged at once, Luke 16, verses 1 through 3. So God has given you tremendous gifts, tremendous responsibilities, and he's calling us all to account. There are several examples of that. I'll just want to read one other definition here. Uh, oikonomos primarily denoted the manager of a household or an estate, and it was defined as a steward. It is used metaphorically in the wise, wider sense of a steward in general, of preachers of the gospel and teachers of the word of God, of elders or bishops in churches, Titus 1.7, but of believers generally, 1 Peter 4.10. So let's take a look at 1 Peter 4.10. You have a responsibility as a steward. What are you a steward of? You may be surprised at what you see here in 1 Peter 4 and verse 10. As each one has received a gift, we all have gifts. You have talents, I have talents. As each of us has received a gift, minister it to one another. We don't all have the same 
abilities and talents and concerns. I remember one time, one year, one article years ago, I think it was in the Plain Truth magazine, about uh, this one person who um, had a friend who was a caregiver. And the caregiver was spending hours and hours of his or her time helping other people. And yet this other person felt guilty. Well, I'm not spending hours and hours in a rest home caring for this person or doing that. And then the author realized, look, that's not necessarily my gift. Some people have gifts where they can dedicate their whole life in caring, as even my sister did for virtually 10 years, taking care of my mother who had a stroke and was paralyzed on her uh, right side and unable to uh, generate uh, words and took care of her for years, and she uh, for 10 years before she died in 2000. And so some have a special gift to, of caring, but others have different gifts. And so God puts us in the body, of course, as it pleases him. But here in 1 Peter 4, in verse 10, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And God's grace is manifold. It has multiple meanings, multiple blessings multiple mercies and gifts. And you are stewards of the manifold mercies and grace of God. And you need to demonstrate that love and that grace and that mercy towards others. And of course the Beatitudes show us how to do that. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the pure in heart. And blessed are you when you are persecuted. So you can reread that section a little more accurately. At least I got the first five Beatitudes, I think, in that correctly. So we have the responsibility of being stewards of the manifold grace of God. Let's turn back to... Luke 19, Luke the 19th chapter, and uh, this is the parable of the minas uh, given in Luke's account. And this has been so very encouraging to me, and I've emphasized it in sermons before, when it comes to overcoming and being faithful with our stewardship, faithful in our responsibilities. I won't, uh, you're very familiar with it, so I'll, I'll skim over over it fairly quickly, but in verse 12, Jesus said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So obviously he's talking about himself. He called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, uh, a uh, certain kind of currency, uh, which in the margin says each worth about three months' salary, and said to them, do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We will not have this man to rule over us, to reign over us. You know people like that? Who've uh, rebelled against God's government in the church or elsewhere who are so independent they will not submit to any authority? We will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants 
to whom he had given the money, and he called to be called to him, and he might know how much each man had gained by trading. The first said, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were, notice this, faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. That's always been encouraging to me. You realize, well, you you must be responsible over big uh, areas of responsibility, yes. But he said, you've been faithful over very little. If you're faithful over little, you'll be faithful over much. The lessons here are, number one, submission to Christ. We will not have this man to be reigning over us. And the second lesson, that we need to be faithful over very little. But we need to grow, we need to change, we need to produce in 2009. We appreciate men and women who are faithful in their jobs. We appreciate men and women who are competent. We've had uh, some workmen work on our house, and I've been very pleased that those particular workmen are competent. Excellent plumbers, excellent carpenters, uh, excellent uh, workmen in heating and air conditioning. They were competent. They were dependable. They're reliable, and so must we also be competent, dependable, and reliable. Well, let's take a look at some of our responsibilities as stewards. So I'm going to ask you some questions. Are you faithful in such and such an area? Well, let's examine ourselves and see if we can make some improvements in 2009. Number one, I'm not necessarily going to number them all, but this is the first question I'll ask. Are you a faithful steward of your possessions? Let's turn to Proverbs, the 27th chapter. Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27. This is uh, has applications and good principles for all of us. Proverbs 27, starting with verse 23. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations, or the uh, King James Version, be you diligent to know the state of your flocks and look well to your herds, for riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation. So, are you diligent? Do you know where your possessions are? Do you even know what your possessions are? We have a warehouse actually just below us here. And uh, that warehouse contains thousands and thousands of booklets for distribution to our television viewers and our magazine subscribers. We produce a weekly report on the inventory. Some recent telecasts have produced over 6,000 responses. So we have to know in advance how many booklets we have, or how many compact discs, or in the future, how many DVDs we have on hand. Are we going to be able to meet the heavy response that's coming in? So our staff applies the principle, be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. We know fairly precisely how many booklets we have for the World Ahead booklet, how many booklets we have on what is true Christianity, and so forth. So are you a faithful steward over your possessions? Let's take your house, for example. Is your house neat, clean, and orderly? I uh, I think I've shared with this uh, with you before, but I know my sister and I, when we were children, my parents gave us chores to do, and 
my chore was to use the vacuum cleaner and to uh, vacuum the, the carpets. And uh, another unusual task was to iron handkerchiefs. That, I, I guess we ironed handkerchiefs in those days. And my wife did it. My sister did some uh, house cleaning, and we got 25 cents if we did the job well on, on that Saturday. It taught us the value of work. And I've uh, really appreciated what my parents did with us, but I learned how to use the vacuum cleaner. And um, how many years later, uh, I think 60 years later, I'm still using the vacuum cleaner. I just vacuumed the house just last uh, week ago Sunday, I think it was. So, But there's a principle. Are you a faithful steward? The principle is a place for everything and everything in its place. And probably no one here does that perfectly. I have boxes and boxes of books, and so I recently purchased three bookshelves, so I hope that I can have a place for those books and to organize them well. And what about papers? You know, uh, some of you have mastered that. I, you know, when you come into your home, I do not see one piece of paper or a newspaper. It, it, it amazes me because we get newspapers every day, and, you know, you have to process that paper. This is an article in the uh, Charlotte Observer uh, from uh, News to Use, Home Organizing, Thursday, December 30, 2004. Fight back against the flood of useless paper. Warranties, credit card offers, magazines, kids' spelling tests, they cover our dining room tables, countertops, and home office desks, not to mention the kitchen junk drawers. Sometimes you can feel as if you are drowning in this stuff. Quote, paper is the biggest problem everyone has, end of quote, said home organization expert Denise Schofield. Everybody in the house generates it, and it never stops coming. It's something you have to be vigilant with. It doesn't have to be that way, said Schofield. We're afraid to throw anything out. Because, you know, as soon as you throw it out, the next day you're going to need it. So don't throw anything out. It's, it's a problem. We're afraid to throw anything out. We're afraid as soon as we get rid of it, a man in black in a black suit is going to come through the front door demanding to see it, she said with a laugh. And 80% of the stuff we file we'll never look at again. Uh, the key is to get started, and she gives out uh, examples and suggestions as having a planner, a family organizer, a binder, a loose-leaf notebook, and um, just limit yourself to magazines and catalogs and the kids' papers, uh, she says they can go in boxes, scrapbooks, photo albums, or art portfolios. And uh, again, just save the best, you know, for last, uh, for years later. It's physically impossible to save everything, she said. I'm old enough to know now that the kids don't care as much about it as you think they're going to. And then bins and, and mail, uh, keep a shredder and trash can close by, a financial inbox for any mail that has to do with money and payments. So that's one of the challenges my wife and I have. Is that is uh, to really overcome uh, the paper chase and the massive amount of paper that comes into our home. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, 1 Corinthians 14. Now, uh, maybe you don't have these problems, but I'm sure that some of us in the audience do have problems with home organization and management. 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. Uh, principle that's taught at the Living Youth Camp. Let all things be done decently and in order. So again, a place for everything and everything in its place. Do you want more clothes? 
Answer the question, are you faithful over your current wardrobe? Do you want more money? Are you faithful with your current income? Are you living within your means? Is your closet neat? Would you like, like more clothes? So this is an article also from the Charlotte Observer. Credit card fatigue. Sick of stores? Avoid crowds and save cash by shopping your closet. Until you do, that is to get over your shopping burnout, there is a way to shop at home. It doesn't involve spending money. It's shopping your closet. Take a ruthless look at the clothes, shoes, and accessories you have. Figure out what really works and what doesn't. Expunge, clean, repair as needed, and end up with a more useful, more practical, more wearable wardrobe. And if you want further help, uh, you can go to realsimple.com. Real Simple Magazine has gained a following with its basic approach to dealing with almost anything life can throw at you. The website recommends closet shopping a little at a time as you put away laundry. Grab an armful of clothes that you haven't worn since you can't remember, can't remember when, and try them on in front of a full-length mirror. Put the ones that you would want to buy again back into circulation, donate the rest. So I think that's a good idea that many of us can, instead of spending money, the store can go shopping in our closets. Do you want a bigger home? Are you faithful managing your current home? I, uh, every once in a while, go through a dresser drawer or a box in the garage, and, and I'm surprising to find things of value. Let's turn to Proverbs, the 14th chapter. Proverbs 14. Of course, Proverbs 6 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard, you know, and consider her ways. She's very diligent. And you know, if you just are diligent, you're moving one grain of sand at a time, or you're just checking out and organizing one dresser drawer at a time, you can make progress. You can be faithful steward over your possessions. Proverbs 14, verse 23. In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to, to poverty. So there is profit in all labor. You know, my wife and I have accumulated things after 44 years of marriage, and every once in a while, if I go uh, organizing a, a dresser drawer or something like that, I might find something of value, like a silver coin, as I did recently, or an old letter from 1961, a family letter that was very uh, valuable. In fact, uh, we gave it to Dr. Meredith just uh, this past week, which she appreciated. So, again, look around your house. Are you faithful with the plumbing, the electrical? And the landscaping. Let's turn to Proverbs 24 and verse 30. Proverbs 24 and verse 30. I went by the field of the lazy man, and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding, and there it was, all overgrown with thorns. His surface was covered with nettles. His stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler, and your need like an armed man. Just reading that reminds me of, uh, I think it was this morning's paper, that showed a house in Arizona. It was a two-bedroom house, one bath, and the mortgage on it was $103,000, and the city said it was uninhabitable. And yet the people owned $103,000 on it. You know, it reminds me of this particular scripture. The field of the lazy man. So again, we want to maintain our property, maintain our house. 
Proverbs 24 man here is not maintaining his property. He is not a faithful steward. So question number one was, are you a faithful steward over your possessions? Question number two is, are you faithful over your finances? Do you want more money? Mr. Armstrong said so many years ago that surveys were taken at that time that people would be satisfied if they had 30% more income. Well, if you reduce your standard of living by 30%, roughly, you know, you can be automatically happy. And, of course, that was one of the mandates Mr. Armstrong gave, reduce your standard of living, and that was many years ago. So you have to answer the question, are you a faithful manager of your current income? Let's turn to Proverbs, the 28th chapter. Are you striving to live within your means, within your income? Now, tithing teaches us to budget. Make sure that your income is more than your outgo. Are you living within your income? Or are you spending above and beyond more than you should? I remember, I think I may have mentioned this before, years ago, back in the 50s, before computers were around for the average householder to account for his income on computers using Quicken or QuickBooks or uh, some of the other computer programs, uh, we had suggested, and I used it for a while, envelopes. You had an envelope for rent, an envelope for uh, clothes, an envelope for uh, magazines. And you actually put your cash from your income into those envelopes. And if you had, uh, uh, you know, for, you got paid weekly and you had rent, you put that one-fourth of that uh, monthly rent in the envelope the first week, the next. And so by the end of the month, you had your money ready uh, to pay. Well, that was a very crude uh, and, and primitive way of doing things, but it seemed to work for people who lack the discipline of budgeting. But tithing teaches you to budget. Proverbs 28, verse 19. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows frivolity will have poverty enough. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. No, I, uh, I may have told you the story before of, of uh, a young man who wasn't keeping track of his bank account. And he would call up the bank and say, well, you have so much money in the bank, but he had checks that are outstanding that he didn't deduct from his record book. And so he thought he had more, and then he did. Well, he, you know, once that check clears, then he was in the hole. And so he was using his bank card to make minor, which I do on occasion, go to uh, well, Walgreens or something, and I'll use my bank card to buy something for $5 or so. And he would buy uh, something, uh, maybe a, a hamburger, and charge it to his bank debit card. But there was no money to cover it. Bank charge, $35. Then he'd go and buy a bag of potato chips, you know, for a dollar. Bank charge, another $35. He ended up owing, oh, what, how many, five, six, seven times $35 just because not keeping track of your money and knowing how much is in your account. And we get every, every day or every week, uh, we get um, uh, notices from the bank of insufficient funds for tithe checks that have been sent to the work, and whoever sent in the check had no money 
to back up that check. We need to be more diligent in accounting and be more faithful over our finances. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread. Let's turn to uh, chapter 4, uh, 10 of Proverbs. Chapter 10 of Proverbs and uh, verse 4. Chapter 10. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. You know, you need to check your bank account. When the statement comes back at the end of the month, if that's the way you um, keep track of your finances, it has a place on the back of the bank statement to fill in all the blanks, how many checks are outstanding, what is your bank balance, and so forth. And you can balance your, your checking account and make sure that it's accurate at the end of every month if you're not doing it electronically or some other way. The hand of the diligent makes rich. I mean, had my friend or this other person been diligent, he could have saved 170 or $175 rather than being charged $35 for every bag of potato chips he bought with his bank card. We have to be diligent. He could have been rich, that is, uh, relatively rich and saved 175 bucks. I hope you've all read, if you have not, how many of you have read, I'll ask hands, in the November-December Living Church News 2008 we had an article by Mr. Rod Reynolds, Rule Your Money. How many of you have read that article? Okay, a good 62%. The other 38% need to read that article. Are you going to be faithful over your finances? He writes in the article, One who starts saving just $100 a month at age 20, assuming an average annual 10% annual growth rate compounded quarterly, Note that historically, since 1929, the U.S. stock market had averaged, he has as, I'll say had averaged, a bit more than 12% annually. We'll have accumulated more than a million dollars by age 65. Working and saving in order to be assured of having plenty later in life when you are unable to work or simply to ensure our financial security is the most important principle in learning to rule money. Another benefit of saving is that if we do so, we will be far less likely to borrow money and incur debt. That's page 14 of the Living Church News, November, December 2008. You imagine, at age 20, if you had saved $100 a month, by the age 65, you'd have a million dollars. My mother told me when I was a teenager, Richard, you need to save 10% of all you earn. That is your take-home money. I didn't do that. Had I done that, and that would have been, what, 60-some years ago, I would have been a millionaire by now had I listened to my mother, had I started saving $100 a month from my, my income, which I was working, and uh, I'm, I'm not a millionaire. I'm a millionaire, of course, spiritually speaking, the gifts that God has given all of us, but uh, we need to rule better our money. So I hope you'll read that article um, by Mr. Rod Reynolds in the November 2008 LCN, Rule Your Money. Of course, there's a sermon Dr. Winnell gave, number 488, Keys to Financial Success. I hope you'll read that. Dr. Meredith gave us advice years ago. Let's turn to Luke, the 16th chapter. In the January-February 2005, Tomorrow's World magazine. You imagine just four years ago, this is what Dr. Meredith wrote in an article titled, Are You Prepared? Quote, the first priority would be to pay off all credit card debts 
and all other debts we possibly can. We should also have at least the equivalent of 60 days living expenses in case of a sudden breakdown in the banking system. Have we had a breakdown in the banking system? We certainly have to a certain extent. 25 banks failed in 2008 and 14 credit unions failed in 2008 and the FDIC has a list of over 100 banks that 171 uh, more banks that are on its problem banks list for 2009. And this was advice Dr. Meredith gave four years ago. We should have at least the equivalent of 60 days living expenses in case of a sudden breakdown in the banking system or a similar emergency. Also, we should gradually work out a family budget that allows us over time to set aside financial resources to carry us through a year or more in case of job loss, catastrophic health situation, etc. So I hope, brethren, that we'll take that advice. So in 2009, let's strive to practice the biblical principle, live within your means. Practice the biblical financial principles we've discussed and we've written about. And strive to be a faithful steward of your finances. Luke 19.17, we read, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, have you authority over ten cities. What other responsibilities must be we uh, must we be faithful in? Emergency preparations. We need to prepare for natural and man-made disasters. Our Texas brethren experienced that during Hurricane Katrina. More than a million people fled the Gulf Coast as Hurricane Katrina approached, and God's people have already been refugees along the Gulf Coast. They know what it's like. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10:23, when they persecute you in this city, he told his disciples, flee to another. For assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So our Texas brethren, and I've talked to them, some of them have what they call a grab-and-go bag. In other words, if they had to evacuate, which um, even some of our brethren did in Escondido because of the fires out there, uh, not only once, but uh, twice in recent years. It's a backpack filled with necessities to survive a few days. So are you and your family ready to flee, if necessary, on short notice? I'm not talking about uh, fleeing for the place of safety now. I'm talking about natural disasters at the moment. And uh, can you say, well, you know... Um, Charlotte's within, uh, you know, 200 miles of the coast, so we don't have anything to worry about. Well, 1989, how many of you experienced Hurricane Hugo here in 1989? So talk to any of these brethren who are here in 1989 and uh, let them share with you their experience of Hurricane Hugo in 1989. Uh, Charlotte was not immune to a hurricane. And you've already heard, of course, uh, this past winter, in the week of December 22nd, the winter storms in the northeast, two and a half billion homes were without power. So that can happen to us. So as Dr. Meredith says in that article, are you prepared? As we are living in, uh, are we living in low-lying coastal areas where we may be in danger of increasing hurricanes, tsunamis, or similar natural disasters? Do we have at least a week's supply of emergency food and water, flashlight batteries, a first aid kit, a battery-powered radio, 
prescription medications or other essential items? Have we read the instructions from our nation or region about how to prepare for such emergencies as hurricanes, earthquakes, or terrorist attacks? And of course, there have been certain uh, emergency kits. I still have one uh, in my, the trunk of my car uh, that's uh, pretty old, but I think some of it will help me survive. But we must be good stewards, not only of our possessions, not only of our finances, but of emergency preparations. A fourth area is perhaps not uh, of grave concern to some of you. You might say, well, well, what are you talking about here, being a faithful caregiver to your household and your pets? Uh, some of us have farm animals in this congregation. Uh, some have pets. My wife and I have three cats. Turn to Proverbs, the 12th chapter, Proverbs 12. But perhaps this is not a significant area of stewardship for you, but at least take a look at the attitude here in Proverbs 12 and verse 10. Proverbs 12 and verse 10. A righteous man regards the life of his animal. And how many children do you see that are so cruel to animals? You know, Animal Planet has... Uh, all these uh, very sad stories of cruelty to animals and how the police in Houston or Los Angeles rescue uh, some of these animals from cruel owners. A righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. So are you a good steward of your animals? We saw the video a few weeks ago here on Christian the Lion. And... Uh, just after that was shown, uh, it became, I think, the following Thursday. It was uh, the number one video, animal video for 2009. The point is, God does care for his creation. And we need to have the mind of God and be caring as well. We've discussed several areas of responsibility, your possessions, your finances, your emergency preparations, your household, including pets. Have you been a good steward of those? Will you be a good steward of those in 2009. We need to understand our responsibilities. Uh, Dr. Renale gave a sermon, number 395, Our Responsibilities. I encourage you to listen to that. There's an older one, Christian Responsibility, uh, number 63. Another area that we need to ask and explore our stewardship is relationships with others. Are you a faithful steward in your relationships? Are you a faithful servant in loving others? Are you applying the second great commandment of loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you a faithful servant to your family? And uh, I gave a uh, seminar here to the singles just last Sunday on improving relationships and interpersonal communication. I took a graduate class uh, one year on interpersonal communication, and the assignment was improve your relationship with another person. And, of course, I chose my wife. And uh, I'm still working on it, you know, over all these years. But there are principles in improving relationships. And, of course, one is to have the attitude of a servant. Let's turn to Matthew, the 20th chapter. You know, that's the servant chapter. Or at least we've turned to it so many times it has become that. Matthew, the 20th chapter. Remember the mother of Zebedee's sons came to her with her sons kneeling down and asking something from him. And she said, Grant that my two sons of mine might sit on your right hand and on 
you're left in the kingdom. And of course, Jesus said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized through the baptism I am baptized with? They said to him, we are. And uh, he later on, of course, went on to say that uh, verse 25 of Matthew 20, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Of course, the word slave in the United States has a very derogatory terms because of the horrible abuse of slavery in the past. But there's a right kind of goodness and servitude and slavery that Christ is speaking about here. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we want to be a sacrifice. Let your life be a sacrifice, living sacrifice, as it tells us in Romans, the 12th chapter. We have the living leadership course. And so this next Sabbath, we have another class, number 20, class number 20, becoming an effective assistant. And I hope that you'll all be there for that. The optional homework for that class is in today's church bulletin. Turn to Colossians, the third chapter, Colossians 3. Are you faithful in your family relationships? Colossians, the third chapter, as the Bible gives us explicit directions on uh, being faithful husbands, being faithful wives. And this covers uh, quite a bit of territory here in Colossians 3. And verse 18, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Again, that's a major responsibility. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Again, do we take those instructions seriously? Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing from that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Dr. Merritt has been emphasizing that recently to our staff and to all of us. We serve the Lord Christ. So here is the Christian home, as it's called in the subhead in Colossians 3, giving us responsibilities. And years ago, Dr. Meredith wrote what I felt were two classic articles on Christian responsibilities for men and women. His article titled, What All Husbands Need to Know, is from the Plain Truth Magazine, June 1966. And it helped me personally in my responsibilities as a husband uh, for more than 40 years of marriage. And to briefly summarize, the five responsibilities are love and respect, love and respect, support and encouragement, leadership and guidance, help and protection, inspiration to grow, and inspiration, I'm sorry, help and protection, and fifth, uh, inspiration to grow. And it takes time to internalize those. And any time I'm counseling students or young people for, for marriage, 
I remind them that, you know, we are entering into a covenant. You need to make sure that you are committed to fulfilling your responsibility, your biblical responsibility, your God-given responsibility as a husband or as a wife. And Mr. Meredith also wrote an encouraging article for women. Well, before I go on to that, I just want to mention it was easy to remember the Plain Truth magazine, June 66, 666. So I always remembered uh, that uh, where that article was and what magazine. Um, but the article for November 1965, even preceding that in the Plain Truth magazine, written by Dr. Meredith, was True Womanhood, Is It a Lost Cause? And though it was for women, not for wives, yet he gave five feminine characteristics, which are as follows. One, responsiveness and service, tenderness and beauty, intelligence and understanding, Christian virtue, faith, hope, and courage. So again, I pray that my wife can emulate those particular qualities. I pray that I can fulfill the five qualities that uh, were listed there in the article on what all husbands need to know. So are you faithful in your relationships to your family? Are you a faithful employee? We just read here in Colossians 3.22, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. In sincerity of heart. I remember years ago, Mr. Leroy Neff giving a sermon in uh, Pasadena talking about being faithful and responsive to your supervisor. And he said, you know, you may have a way of doing things, but do it the boss's way. Well, of course, we as supervisors normally want input, but if we do make a decision, look, this is the way I want to do it this time, you cooperate. And that's one of, I hope, one of the things that all of us can do as brethren within the church. Can you answer the question, are you cooperative? Or are you resistant to suggestions? Do you get upset when someone gives you a suggestion, we all need to submit one to another in the fear of God, as it says in Ephesians 5.21. To cooperate. Answer the question. Are you a cooperative person in your family, in your workplace, in perhaps uh, your educational institution, whatever the setting may be? Are you faithful in your relationships with loving the brethren? You know that scripture, but let's turn to it. John, the 15th chapter. John 15. He tells us he's given us a commandment to love one another. And I, I find it pathetic and humorous at the same time when those of the uh, conspiracy and uh, those of the apostasy who say, you know, you don't really need to obey the commandments, and yet the word command appears in the New Testament many times. And Jesus himself gave commandments. And here in 15, uh, John 15, verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my suggestion. <clears throat> no. <clears throat> this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And, of course, Jesus set the example of how to love one another. He even washed his disciples' feet. He served them. He was willing to humble himself in service. Greater love is no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. 
you might review sermon number 426, which is titled, Love One Another. And in that particular sermon, there are several suggestions of how to love the brethren. Of course, one is giving of your time, sharing your life, a giving of your physical goods, expressing compassion, involving yourself emotionally, as it tells us in 1 Corinthians 12. You know, when one member suffers, we all suffer with it. When one member is honored, we are honored with that person. We can connect emotionally. Pray for one another as a way of loving the brethren. I have quite a list. I've got to update my, my list uh, from 2008 to 2009. And I've had about 40, 40 or 45 people, several in this congregation, on the list. And I reduced it to a very tiny font size so that it would fit on the back page of my week at a glance. So, again, I hope you all have your own prayer lists. And, of course, the weekly bulletin often gives a prayer requests that I hope you respond to. We need to forgive one another. We need to live by 1 Corinthians 13, the agape love, and a love with a serving attitude. Let's turn to Galatians 6. Galatians 6. So are you faithful? Are you a faithful steward in relationships, in family, in workplace, loving the brethren? Galatians 6 expands that horizon uh, somewhat. Let me find it. Galatians, Ephesians. Galatians 6. And, of course, the whole section here is encouraging, but let's look at just verse 10, Galatians 6. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So that means your neighbor. That means people that you encounter in uptown Charlotte, uh, maybe at a concert or at a restaurant. Uh, you see people who are in need and you help them. I've uh, mentioned one time when we were checking in, I believe it was in Berlin, a few years ago, flying on to London. And uh, the stewardess, I'm sorry, the, the ticket agent, were checking in our luggage did such a good job, I said, well, I really appreciate it. You did an excellent job. Just a, a simple compliment like that. We're, we're waiting in line at the gate, and I hear this announcement. Um, would uh, Richard Ames come to the lectern, please? Well, what's this all about? We're waiting at the end of the line, and this same woman who checked me in said, we have a place in first class for you. <laughs> <clears throat> so you never know. You never know. Do good unto all, especially to those of the household of faith. I've asked you the question, are you faithful in your relationships? Are you faithful with the environment? I won't spend much time on that, but he tells us in Revelation 11 um, that God is going to reward the servants, the prophets, and the saints, those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Well, God gave human beings dominion over planet Earth. And, of course, we have not been faithful servants of the planet. We have polluted our air, water, and food. We are a chemicalized society. As a consumer society, we produce tons and tons of waste products. So are you faithful with the environment? During World War II, and I was a boy during World War II, so I remember going to the grocery store with the ration stamps. You couldn't just buy anything you want. And we had, I know my mother had a good relationship with the grocer 
at the end of the block, and she said, Richard, go down, use this one stamp for sugar. And uh, he has saved me a pound of sugar under the, under the table. So uh, I told him who it was for, and the grocer was very kind. A pound of sugar was something very, very special back around 1942, 1943. And you had to have a coupon even to get it. Same with of course, gasoline for cars. Not many people had cars in that time. But during World War II, Americans were encouraged to grow a victory garden. That is, they were supposed to have their own vegetable garden. And I would encourage all of you, as I have already in times past, to have somewhat of a garden. I had one in Big Sandy years ago. They called it a postage stamp garden. It was about 10 feet by 4 feet. And uh, my next-door neighbor, who was head of the agricultural program, showed me how to plant the garden, the rototiller and so forth, and it produced a lot of weeds. No, it did but it also produced a lot of vegetables. And it's amazing, and my wife had a tomato plant last year that she put out just by the wall, and it just, just seemed to multiply, just grew like a weed. And we had all kinds of tomatoes. So again, I would encourage you to be faithful with the environment. I would encourage you to plant a uh, garden this coming spring, how many of you do have, I've already asked you that question, how many of you grow something even as small as an herb? How many are growing something at home? Look at that. Isn't that wonderful? 41% of you are doing that. Excellent. Uh, but the rest, the other 59% can do it as well. We need a backup plan for the future. Number seven, and I haven't numbered these, sorry about that, but are you a faithful steward of God's truth? The most important question of all. We look at John 8, John 8 and verse 31. You know, there are so many deceptions in the world, and I hope we realize, brethren, that God has given us special, special understanding. Uh, you might to review the sermons on truth. Number 394 was treasure the truth. Number 403 was live the truth. Number 410 was rejoice in the truth. But here in John 8 and verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You're a student. A disciple is a student. Are you still learning? Are you still studying? And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What an awesome blessing that is. This is... Uh, a book called Pagan Christianity by Frank Viola and George Barna. Uh, George Barna Research uh, surveys uh, religious issues among uh, various people. And uh, I'll just read a couple quotes uh, from this book. As the condition of Christian churches in the United States, he says, we are making an outrageous proposal that the church in its contemporary institutional form has neither a biblical nor a historical right to function as it does. This proposal, of course, is our conviction based upon the historical evidence that we shall present in this book. You must decide if that proposal is valid or not. That's page XX in the beginning of the book. Uh, he goes on to say, Truth be told, we Christians never seem to ask why we do what we do. Instead, we blithely carry out our religious traditions without asking where they came from. Well, we ask the audience to, you know, to ask that question. That's on page 5. Most Christians who claim to uphold the integrity of God's Word have never sought to see if what they do every Sunday has any scriptural backing. How do we know this? Because if they did, 
it would lead them to some very disturbing conclusions that would compel them by conscience to forever abandon what they are doing. An amazing quote that is. Oh, this is so good. I have on here. Uh, he talks about uh, seminaries and, and uh, doctrine. He says, regardless of how much we wish to deny it, contemporary theology, this is page 208, contemporary theology is a blending of Christian thought and pagan philosophy. And he gives uh, backup information on it. And I'll just uh, share one line, one more. Page 218, this is a pastor who sums up uh, the problem. He said, I went to a top-rated evangelical school. They did not prepare me to, one, do ministry, and two, be a leader. I began to analyze why I could preach a great sermon, and people afterwards shake my hand and say, great sermon, pastor. But these were the very people who were struggling with self-esteem, beating their spouses, struggling as workaholics, succumbing to their addictions. Their lives weren't changing. I had to ask myself why this great knowledge I was presenting didn't move from their heads to their hearts and their lives. I began to realize that the breakdown in the church was actually based on what we learned in seminary. We were taught that if you just give people information, that's enough. So it's a very interesting book, uh, Pagan Christianity by Frank Viola and George Barna. But we have been given God's truth. We are very, very thankful for that truth. I uh, just want to share one other comment from you, and this is another book. This is by George Bonner uh, called Revolution. And uh, he surveyed, his, his, his job as a researcher, surveyed 77 million evangelicals. And uh, this is chapter 4 on the local church. And uh, so we have to find... find these... Uh, statistics here and here. He says, regarding worship, this is 77 American adults who were churched, born-again Christians, people who had confessed their sins, asked God for forgiveness, accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, are confident of their salvation solely because of the grace extended them by God, and regularly participate in the life of a Christian congregation. 77 million. What he found in his research, the bi-weekly attendance at worship services is, by believers' only own admission, generally the only time they worship God, page 31. So they go to church twice a week, that's the only time they worship God. Eight out of ten believers do not feel they have entered into the presence of God or experienced a connection with Him during the worship service. Eight out of ten don't feel they have connected with God. Half of all believers say they do not feel they have entered into the presence of God or experienced a genuine connection with Him during the past year. Eight out of ten have said they have not connected with God and yet they profess to be born-again Christians in a year's time? I mean, our children connect with God when they pray before going to bed at night. We should be connecting with God every day and, of course, Christ tells us, be instant in prayer and to pray without ceasing. And I hope there's no one in here who is disconnected from God. If you are, you need to really put forth some effort. Let's turn there to uh, Isaiah uh, 55. There are many other shocking uh, statistics that uh, Barna gives in there as well. But this is, of course, what we need to do as stewards of God's truth 
and make sure that we are following Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the eternal while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the eternal, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. We have a mission to perform. We have to be faithful stewards of God's truth. We need to be faithful in doing the work that God has given us. He has told human beings to have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So ask yourselves, am I a faithful steward over my possessions? Am I a faithful steward over my finances, emergency preparation, care of animals, relationships, the environment, over God's truth? Am I a faithful steward? of doing God's work. In the March-April 2009 LCN, <clears throat> Dr. Meredith has an article titled, Go All Out to Serve Your Creator. You'll get this LCN, of course, at the end of February. He writes, In today's society, it is often considered fashionable to be cool. Young people and older people sometimes pride themselves on not appearing to be trying too hard. Yet that is exactly the opposite of what our God wants us to be and to do. In fact, most of us in God's church may need to try harder than those endowed with more natural ability who have perhaps been afforded more opportunities for education and learning and learning the social graces than the majority of God's people. But you and I today are being called now to prepare to become full sons of God. We are called to emulate Jesus Christ. We are instructed but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. First Peter 1, verses 15 through 16. Dr. Meredith continues, And to achieve this awesome goal, we are commanded by our Savior, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So, brethren, I urge you to read the LCN articles, the November-December LCN, the January-February LCN, which you just recently received, I presume. And so let's this coming year strive to grow spiritually. Let's strive to serve our brethren, to love one another. Let's humbly and fulfill our responsibilities as faithful stewards and servants of Christ, so that when we fulfill the commission and the work that God has given us to do, that Jesus can say, as it says in Matthew 25, verse 21, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So, brethren, in 2009, strive to be faithful, productive, active stewards of God's blessing.